0: Jamila Gavin is a musician and author who has an Indian father and an English mother. She talks to Michael Barclay about the book she wrote about Thomas Coram, who built the Foundling Hospital for Abandoned Children in London. Jamila Gavin was
1: born in the foothills of the Himalayas. Her Indian father and English mother met as teachers in Iran and married in Mumbai. By the age of 12 she'd lived in an Indian palace in the Punjab, a bungalow in Pune and a terraced house in Ealing, West London. Ealing was where the family settled in 1953. Jamila went on to study music at London's Trinity College and to become a sound engineer and then a director in television. She didn't start to write until her late thirties, beginning a career distinguished by many awards for her novels, plays and short stories, around 50 books in all. It's a rich world of myths and fairy tales, orphans and adventures, ranging from 15th century Venice to the mountains of India. She's probably best known for Corum Boy, her prize-winning novel, which was adapted for the stage at the National, about the 18th century foundling hospital of which Handel became a major benefactor.
2: Yes, Handel was a a wonderful revelation when I was thinking about writing the book Coram Boy. I mean, that in itself was an accident because I heard of a story of Coram men that trafficked children. And I said, oh, and somebody said that the highways and byways of England were littered with the bones of little children. Well, these were not slave children. These were little British children in an age when if a child was unwanted, they were invariably dumped or trafficked. Uh, So that caught my ear and I immediately began to research Coram and took me to London and the story of Thomas Coram, Captain Thomas Coram, in the 18th century, who had said, I got fed up with tripping over the abandoned bodies of little babies in the streets of London. It opened up a world of London to me. I could have said it was the same in India, but Calcutta, but London. So then a story began to um, unfold, and as it unfolded, and I began to learn about all the big people that supported Captain Coram, whose aim was to set up the Foundling Hospital, Handel was one of them. And for me, as someone who dearly loves music, and who never thought I'd ever land up being a writer, it was such an opportunity to explore my love of music, my love of Handel, and Fortunately, Mellie Still, who is the director of Corumboy, when it was adapted for the theatre by Helen Edmondson, they hit upon making Handel the music throughout, and I think it was an absolute stroke of genius.
1: And this particular piece from the Messiah, "Surely He hath borne our grief," is very appropriate for some of the very moving and disturbing aspects of what was happening to these children.
2: Very much so. It happens in a poignant scene when even the foundling children, the little girls, were being trafficked through a secret tunnel and this is being noticed by one of the characters and Adrian Sutton placed this surely... Surely. And, you know, in opera you look for um, singers who can act and in this play they look for actors who could sing. And, my goodness, I think the performance they did for that scene just makes the hairs on your neck stand up as these little children are herded through the tunnel to a slave ship.
1: And for that reason you were particularly keen not to have a performance which sort of skipped lightly but one which brought out the profundity...
2: Yes, I was amazed actually at some of the performances I listened to when choosing for this program. That they do just skip along, and uh, you know they're wonderfully sung. But when you think about what the words are saying, the bearing of grief and the um, the bruising, and uh, it's I just think Charles McCarris gets it with the English Chamber Orchestra, a slightly reduced forces, but I think he does get that. Pounding heartbeat rhythm of surely. <laughs> love it when they sing the chastisement. I've always loved the way Handel sets words.
1: Surely he has borne our grief. Charles McEarris conducting the Ambrosian Singers and the English Chamber Orchestra in music from part two of Handel's Messiah. I'd love to hear a bit more about your childhood, Jamila Gavin. Mm. Living in a palace sounds like a pretty good start. <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, um, it's not as glamorous as it sounds, uh, as you mentioned, my father and mother were teachers, they met in Iran, but they were both pretty dedicated teachers, especially my father, who is always full of ideas. And we were living in uh, the Punjab, Batala, and nearby was this abandoned palace from a Sikh prince. And uh, it was just overgrown and abandoned and my father's imagination immediately saw a school for further education, which I'm thrilled to say um, still exists and is thriving.
1: This was in the 40s and early 50s. And of course, India was only newly independent. So what kind of culture did you grow up in? What was the music like around you, for instance?
2: Well, living in Batala, which was where I lived basically uh, for the first four to five years of my life, it was either um, hymns in church or it was my mother playing Schubert and Beethoven, on, on an upright piano, which, by the way, would have arrived on the, on a bullet cart. So every time we moved home in India, the piano always went onto the bullet cart and jangled its way along. And then there was the street music. And you know, I forget about the street music in India. There's, there was a lot of it, just as you have buskers here. And then there was Gilbert and Sullivan when we went to Pune, where my father was posted after Patala. That seems to be what I really remember were the great Gilbert and Sullivan productions that they used to put on and I just hung around every single rehearsal being a bit of a pest until they put me into the show. Knew every word, every note. But I was composing for myself and I know that my school in India would get me to make up marches for the children to walk into assembly. So music was absolutely in every pore really. So I
1: think this next music takes you back to those performances, if you like, by your mother, because it's Schubert Sonata in A major, Deutsch, 664, a piece I think she played.
2: Yes, I, I can remember creeping down the stairs late at night when she was playing the piano, and that was a piece she was very fond of. And of course, one plays the pieces that you're technically capable of playing reasonably well. And I'm amazed to know that my mother was taught by her father. She didn't have formal piano lessons, but he was a highly intelligent, cultivated man, and he taught her to play the piano. And then we had the wind-up gramophone. And the first record that I heard um, on the wind-up gramophone was this sonata played by Myra Hess. But then years later, another circle turning, (laughs) played by Alfred Brendel, who of course is a supreme performer of Schubert.
3: Love but to soon. With sorrow torn, yet yeah, not my will, but yours, He said. Come see His name
0: Gentis has produced a series of talks where he imagines himself to be a Bible character. Today, he looks at the problems Moses faced when trying to lead the people of Israel when giving them the Ten Commandments.
4: I, Moses, was truly blessed when I implemented my father-in-law's advice and appointed the leaders according to the tribes and numbers. It was such a relief not to have to sit from sun up to sun down judging the people's contentions. And really, some of them were so trite that you have to laugh to avoid crying. However, you may be able to change what people do, and that's only temporarily, but you can't change what they want to do. So we packed up the camp and continued our journey from Rephidim, and God spoke to me there when we camped in the wilderness. He said, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob, and tell the sons of Israel, you yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now then, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenants, then you shall be my own possession among all the peoples, for all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. So I came and called all the elders of the people after God spoke and set them before all the words that God had commanded me. And all the people answered as one voice, saying, Everything that the Lord has spoken, we're going to do. And the Lord spoke to me again, saying, Go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow, and let them wash their garments. Let them be ready for the third day. For on the third day the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai, in the sight of all the people. You shall set bounds for the people all around, saying, Beware that you do not go up on the mountain, or touch the border of it. Whoever touches the mountain shall surely be put to death. No hand shall touch him, but he shall surely be stoned or shot through. Whether beast or man, he shall not live. When the ram's horn sounds a long blast, they shall come up to this mountain. So when it came about on the third day, when it was morning that there was thunder and lightning flashes, and a thick cloud upon the mountain, and a very loud trumpet sound, so that all the people who were in the camp trembled. And then I brought the people out of the camp to meet God, and they stood at the foot of the mountain. Well, I was on that high place for many days, and they seemed to go by without me even noticing it. After the ten basic commandments were engraved, He spoke to me of many things, such as the tent of encounter, or how the priests were to be clothed and prepared, the Sabbath day, and how the sacrifices were to be conducted. Me, I continued chipping away with my chisel, very careful not to miss a word of what he was saying. Suddenly, the Lord changed his tone and said, Go down at once, for your people, whom you have brought up from the land of Egypt, have corrupted themselves. They have quickly turned aside from the way which I commanded them. They have made for themselves a molten calf, and have worshipped it, and have sacrificed to it, and said, This is your God, O Israel, who brought you up from the land of Egypt. I have seen these people, and behold, they are an obstinate people. Now let me alone, that my anger may burn against them, and that I may destroy them. But I will make of you a great nation. So... God was offering to wipe out all his people and put my family in its place. I must admit it was tempting, but that wasn't what I really wanted. I wanted this people to be set free. So I answered him thus. O Lord, why does your anger burn against your people whom you have brought out from the land of Egypt with great power and with a mighty hand? Why should the Egyptians speak, saying... With evil intent, he brought them out to kill them in the mountains and to destroy them from the face of the earth. Turn from your burning anger and change your mind about doing harm to your people. Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, your servants, to whom you swore by yourself and said to them, I will multiply your descendants as the stars in the heavens. And all this land of which I have spoken, I will give to your descendants, and they shall inherit it forever. So the Lord changed his mind about the harm which he said he would do to this people. He relented and seemed pleased that I would spoken in favor of mercy. But I still had to go down that mountain, see the horrific sacrifice they'd committed, and deal with them. I'd spoken mercy but it might entirely be a different matter to show mercy. Well, this just goes to show that you may be able to change what people do, and that's only temporarily. But you can't change what they want to do. Only God can do that. This comes from the book of Exodus, chapters 19 and 32 in the Holy Bible.
5: The sorrow untold As you look down the road At the clamoring crowd Drawing near Feel the heat of the day As you look down the way Hear the shouts of Hosanna the King times drawing near. Don't forsake him or don't pass it by. On the fold of a donkey, as the prophet has said, passing by. So softly upon All the coats and the palms Bear the one on your back Oh, so gently Midst the joy of the crowd And the shouting so loud There is one who is riding In silence For he knows He will be fleeing in fear When their shepherd is taken away Oh, daughter of Zion Your time's drawing near Don't forsake him Oh, don't pass it by By you, he rides on to die. Soon the thorn cursed ground will bring forth a crown, and this Jesus will seem to be beaten. But he'll conquer alone both the shroud and the stone. And the prophecies will be completed Oh, daughter of Zion Your time's drawing near Don't forsake him or oh, don't pass it by On the fold of a donkey Is the prize Passing by you, he rides on to die. On the fold of a donkey, as the prophet has said, Passing by you, he rides on to die.
0: Alan Sorensen is Church of Scotland minister in Greenock. Alan has given us permission to broadcast some of his short Godspots, and today he explains Vujardé.
4: Now the real trouble with being senile is, you could be having déjà vu and not know it. (laughs) I tend to suffer from something else nowadays, Vujardé. That's where you say to yourself, I don't know where I am, but I recognise it. Faith is all about seeing patterns in the world, recognising God at work, even though you're in a new situation. That's why when the house burns down, the wife runs away with the milkman and the kids get berry berry, you cry and scream in agony, but you still say, well, let's see what God's going to pull out of the hat here. Because when you look at his dealings with these people throughout history and in our own lives, there can be disaster after disaster, but God is never out of the picture. I don't know where I am, but I recognise it. Veux
0: Manifest the blessings to you! Do the new! Jeremy Irons has recorded the Psalms from the authorised version of the Bible. Today we hear Jeremy reading Psalm 115. It's followed by part of Psalm 115, written by Heinrich Schutz, and sung by the choir of Trinity College, Cambridge, with His Majesty's
6: Sagbutts and Cornets, directed by Richard Marlowe. Not unto us, O Lord, not unto us, but unto thy name give glory, for thy mercy and for thy truth's sake. Wherefore should the heathen say, Where is now their God? But our God is in the heavens. He has done whatsoever he hath pleased. Their idols are silver and gold, the work of men's hands. They have mouths, but they speak not. Eyes have they, but they see not. They have ears, but they hear not. Noses have they, but they smell not. They have hands, but they handle not. Feet have they, but they walk not. Neither speak they through their throat. They that make them are like unto them. So is every one that trusteth in them. O Israel, trust thou in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. O house of Aaron, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. Ye that fear the Lord, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. The Lord hath been mindful of us. He will bless us. He will bless the house of Israel. He will bless the house of Aaron. He will bless them that fear the Lord, both small and great. The Lord shall increase you more and more, you and your children. Ye are blessed of the Lord, which made heaven and earth. The heaven, even the heavens, are the Lord's. But the earth hath he given to the children of men. The dead praise not the Lord, neither any that go down into silence. But we will bless the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. Praise the Lord.